and the, the, the building collapses in on it, and it's a tornado. Maybe you've seen some of the, the devastation in America that tornadoes can, uh, can cause. That's what happens. But in one day, he loses everything. He is destitute. He loses all his children, all gone. Then he is afflicted with boils. His whole body is covered in sores. And his wife says to him, why don't you curse God and die? Um, I'm not sure if she's, if she's, it may well just be out of love that she, to see her husband like that and just saying, why, you, you know, just, let's just, just get it over with. This, who can, uh, I don't necessarily think she's been, you know, nasty. Uh, but it's not the best thing she says, really. She, she doesn't have the faith of her husband. Uh, but he is married. He has ten children. Uh, these ten children, as I said, are, are killed. Uh, but later on, the Lord gives him another ten children. Another seven sons and three daughters. What about his character? So verse 1 says, He is blameless and upright one who feared God and turned away from evil. This is Hebrew parallelism. You can sort of say blameless means he feared God. And upright, he turned away from evil. This is not perfection. Okay, remember a, a, a pastor is also called to be blameless, not perfect. No pastor is perfect. No one in the Bible is perfect except for one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but the idea here is that he feared God, which is the beginning of wisdom in, in the wisdom literature, and, and Job is part of the wisdom literature. He feared God, and so he was wise, and he fought sin. He was not perfect. Notice that he offered sacrifices. He is a devout man. He would, he would come and offer sacrifices for his, his children. And so you see there that he's concerned about the spiritual welfare of his children. He's seeking to be a godly father. He fears the Lord because he's concerned that maybe his children have cursed God in their hearts. So he understands secret sin. And he does this continually, we're told, in verse 5. And so it was the pattern of his life to come before God, to offer sacrifices, not only for himself but for his children. He knew about secret sin. He was continuous in this, so a godly man, a devout man. Chapter 31 of the book of Job, uh, we see Job defending himself, not in an arrogant way. We'll see that he acknowledges his sin. So Job nowhere claims to be perfect. We are told that he is blameless, that he is a godly man, but not perfect. But we get a sense of his character in chapter 31. And I'm just going to skip, jump through a few verses so that you get an idea. Verse 1 says, Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Or a young woman. So what he's saying is, I have fought lust. It's the character of this man. Okay. Uh, he battled with lust. He fought it. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Verse 5, he says, if I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened to deceit. All the way through this, he'll say, if I've done this, may this happen to me. He puts a curse on himself. And so he says he has not walked with falsehood. He has not been a person who, 
who told lies or sought to deceive people. Verse 9, if my heart has been enticed toward a woman and I have lain in wait at my neighbor's door. And so he's spoken there. He hasn't entered into having an affair. Verse 13, if I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when they brought a complaint against me. So as a, an employer, his servants, when they brought a complaint, he listened to them. He didn't just say, well, get away from me. I don't care what you're going through. I'm amazed the number, <laughs> the number of people who in, in our church who talk about their bosses to me, and I'm amazed that any of these people get into ma management. It's, it's incredible, the, the type of narcissistic, abusive people that get into management. Uh, but it's unfortunately, that's the world that we live in. Job was not like that. When people brought a complaint to him, when his staff brought a complaint, he listened to them. He heard what they had to say. Verse 16, if I have withheld anything that the poor desired or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail. And so he cared for the poor. He cared for the widows and the orphans or have eaten my food alone and the fatherless, the orphans, have not eaten of it. For from my youth, the orphans grew up with me as with a father. And remember what James says, that is true religion, to care for the, the fatherless and the, and the widows. And so Job did that. Uh, verse 24, if I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence. Now, we saw that this man is incredibly wealthy, isn't that right? In fact, we're told he was the greatest man in the East. Thousands and thousands of flocks. I know that I read some, you know, I try to find out, you know, how wealthy would he be in today's money? Um, and, and, you know, you can maybe go and figure that out if you know the cost of oxen and sheep and things like that. But at least in America, it's worth about, you know, $200 million dollars apart from land and etc etc um, so incredibly wealthy and so he, he the temptation would be to put his trust in in his wealth but he says if I've made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence if I've rejoiced because my wealth was abundant or because my hand had found much and he goes on to say let me be cursed and so he did not put his trust in his his wealth or if I've looked at the sun when it shone or the moon moving in splendor and my heart has been secretly enticed. And here he talks about idolatry, to worship the sun or the, or the moon. But he didn't do that. And then he says in verse 33, if I've concealed my transgressions as others do by hiding my iniquity in my heart. So here we see that he was not perfect. He was, a, he was a sinner. But he fought his sin and he says, if I've hidden my sin, if I've concealed it, so not dealing with it, not confessing it, not owning it, not taking responsibility for it, which is what we are called to do. All of these things should characterize God's people. That we are, not, that we are fighting lust. That we are fighting covetousness, putting our confidence in, in money. That we care for uh, those who are struggling in, in the church, the fatherless and the, and the widows, the poor, the destitute, and that we are owning our sin and confessing it to others. He says, I didn't do that. In chapter 13, he confesses his sins. He says to the Lord, how many 
are my iniquities and my sins. And then he says to the Lord, make me know my transgression and my sin. Have you ever prayed that? Most of us think these are my sins, A, B, C. It's normally where we end, maybe two or three. <laughs> Especially when you're a young Christian, you think, well, this, my, this is my sin. I have a foul mouth and lust or something like that. You know, that's sort of my sins. Lord, please help me with that. Uh, you are miles off the mark, okay? Uh, you and I should be praying, Lord, show me my sin. Because there is so much sin we're not even aware of. So much sin that is culturally acceptable. Our consciences are so uh, contaminated that we often sin in many ways without even realizing it. The way we talk to people, the way we treat people, the way we don't even think about people, the way we don't think about the Lord, the way we uh, address the Lord, or so many ways that we are not aware of. And Job realizes that. He says to the Lord, make me know my transgressions and my sin. And then he says, for you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. And so he acknowledges the sins of his youth. Okay. So Job was not perfect. He was a sinner like you and me. But by God's grace, he, he grew and became upright and blameless, a man of integrity, a man who feared God. And that's what sanctification is. And so he is an example to all of us of fighting sin and growing. In fact, he is called righteous two occasions. There are three people who are called righteous uh, in a very special way. Ezekiel chapter 14, the Lord talks about the sin of the nation. And in verse 14, he says, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would, not, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. And so Noah, Daniel, and Job are held up in the Old Testament as paradigms of righteous men, godly men. But even their righteousness could not stop judgment coming upon people. That's what Ezekiel is saying here. Judah has become so sinful that even if those three men lived in Judah, it would not be enough to stop judgment coming on, on Judah. And so we've seen the world of this man, we've seen the character of this man, uh, but how does he point us to, to Christ? How does he show us the, the Lord Jesus Christ? While Job is blameless, uh, and so his suffering is not as a result of his sin, nor is it chastening for sin, uh, Job does, as you read through the book, protest too much, complain too much. And in the end, the Lord does rebuke him. He starts to question God's righteousness. And that's when he's overstepped the mark. He's questioning the character of God. It is not a sin to, to ask God why. Why has something happened? We see that throughout the Bible. But then to begin to impugn God's character, that is sinful. And Job is rebuked for that. But his friends are rebuked even more because they questioned uh, Job's character. Job was, was righteous uh, in that sense. But he was still a man who sinned. 
When we come to Christ, there is no sin. Christ never, ever sinned. He is the ultimate righteous sufferer. Righteous in every single way, and yet he suffered more than any other human being. Job intercedes for his friends, but Christ dies for his enemies. The Lord tells Job, go and offer sacrifices for your friends, intercede for them. And he does that. He intercedes for his friends, but Christ dies for his enemies. While we were enemies, Christ died for us, Paul tells us. The Lord said to Satan, you can do anything to him, but you cannot take his life. But when it came to Christ, the scriptures tell us that God did not spare his own son. There was no salvation for Christ. Christ's life was, was taken. He laid down his life. He died. Job did not die. Christ laid down his life for his enemies, those who hated him. And then lastly, Job was never truly abandoned, was he? He felt like it. And if you're a Christian, maybe you feel like that at times. Feel that God has abandoned you. Where is God? It feels as though the ceiling above is brass. Your prayers are just bouncing straight off. He's not hearing you. What's happening? You feel alone. You feel separate from God. But if you're his child, he has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. You're not truly alone. You need to hold on to those promises that God cannot lie, that he is with you, even in, in the midst of that. If you're in the fire or in the flood, Whatever it is you're experiencing, he is with you in it. He is near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. But for Jesus Christ, he was truly forsaken. He was abandoned. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we heard that this morning. That's what hell is. It is to be abandoned from all the gracious attributes of God. It's to be separated from anything good. That's what Christ experienced on, on our behalf. He was cursed and forsaken and drank the cup of the wrath of God. He was truly abandoned, truly alone, so that you and I, if you're a believer, will never be abandoned, will never be forsaken, will never taste hell. And so Job points us to the true Christ. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you so much for, for the book of Job. We thank you for the record of his life, for his suffering, for his character, for the end of the story. We thank you that it is the most ancient book that in your grace and your love for your people, for the suffering that your people go through, you chose to teach them on this subject first. We're so thankful for that, Lord Jesus. We thank you that Christianity is real. It's not a pretend religion. It's not that we just have pretend everything is okay and just smile. But the scriptures are full of suffering. We serve a suffering Savior who died in our place. And the way up is the way down. The way to joy 
and glory is the path of suffering. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us as we walk this path. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you laid down your life while we were your enemies, while we hated you and despised you and saw nothing beautiful in you, nothing attractive, yet you loved us. And so as we head out into this new week, we don't know what lies ahead, we don't know what suffering we'll experience, but we do know that it's all working for good. We do know that you are with us in it, and we do know that you have atoned for our sins, Lord Jesus. We are not paying for our sins. We could never pay for them. We could never atone for them. You have done that. We are forgiven and loved. And so help us to know that and to believe it and to live out of that. In Jesus' name, amen. have a closing hymn, a beautiful closing hymn, all praise to him, the God of light. So please stand with me and let's sing together.
Amen. Wonderful to head out into a new week praising the Lord. Uh, may, may we continue to do that through the whole week and uh, let's gather again on Friday morning, Good Friday. Invite others, nine o'clock here, to, to hear about Good Friday, uh, the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. I close with a benediction from Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.